Hey, it's Low Profile. I'm Mark Lee Morrison, and I'm excited to share this bonus episode with you. I'm talking to Franklin Fantini, also known as Frank the Drifter, to fans of his podcast, Dollar Country, one of my favorite shows. And it shares a common mission to this program, which is to preserve overlooked music history and share it with a bigger audience. For low profile, that means I go out and research and do interviews and get oral history from these artists. For dollar country, that means Franklin sifting through thousands of overlooked country 45s from the 20th century and sharing it with the listener. And even if you're a big country fan, you're going to hear stuff you've never heard before. And if you're not a big country fan, uh, you might be after you hear some of the tunes that he's dug up. Now, Low Profile receives financial support from listeners like you at patreon.com slash lowprofile, where I occasionally share some tasty bonus content, like the feature-length video of this interview. I really need your support. It helps keep the show going and helps make the show better. So if you can financially support this program at all, go to patreon.com slash low profile today and, you know, check it out and see if you can make a flexible donation. Low profile also receives in-kind support from the following generous independent businesses here in Olympia, San Francisco Street Bakery, Schwartz's Deli, Rainy Day Records, Old School Pizzeria, and Schurler Easy Premium Shitty American Lager from Three Magnets Brewing Company. Dollar Country can be found on Apple Podcasts at dollarcountry.org and on Instagram at dollarcountry. You can support them at patreon.com slash dollarcountry. So you might be wondering, who is this Frank the Drifter and where does he find these nuggets? Can I hear some of them? Why does he do it? Is there no stopping him? Feel free to eavesdrop as a couple of record nerds go head to head. Here goes. Franklin, hey, it's nice to meet you. Oh, yeah, nice to meet you, too. <laughs> face to face, billions of miles away. You're in yeah. Cleveland? Yeah, Cleveland, Ohio. Cool. Yeah, and I'm in Olympia. Yeah. Olympia. Yeah, I've always wanted to go to Olympia. I've heard it's really cool. I hear the same about Cleveland. <laughs> I heard, really? I heard it's, yeah. Um, I think it's cool. Yeah. Did, did they change the name of the baseball team there yet? Yeah, they have announced the new name. It changes at the beginning of next season. Okay. I guess it's I guess it's officially the Indians are out because the season's over. So yeah, they'll be the Guardians next year, which is great. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I don't I don't really follow baseball, but that's the first thing I think of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think of Cleveland. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I, I don't. I follow baseball a little bit just because I'm here and most of my friends do, but uh-huh. I, I'm all for the exchanging of uh, any sort of indigenous appropriation in like, yeah, sports. Yeah. I think they should change all that as soon as possible. Having names like that is just not nice these days. And you're all about nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's one thing I know about you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, your your catchphrase. Yeah, be nice to people out there. I think it's important. I um I don't know why it became my catchphrase. I it's like once you start doing a show for long enough, I'm sure as you know, like 
I don't know, one episode you say something, and the next episode you say it again, and then you're like, I'm going to keep saying that. or You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, yeah. It's like everything about a radio show or podcast, I feel like when you start, you can't really have that much planned, and then you start saying stuff, and then it just kind of, some things stick and some things don't, and that's just kind of the nature of the beast. Yeah, I don't have a catchphrase yet. I, I do have a um, sort of a motif that I return to um, if the vibe is right. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll ask my guests how they like their burger. Oh, nice! And I feel like you can you know maybe learn something about a person. Yeah, <laughs> that way is that is that like a? I think you asked C.W. Stone King that, didn't you? Because I listened to that episode. Oh yeah, he and he had a very colorful, thoughtful answer yeah. too. About, um, I don't know. Like I don't really understand. Like what's the difference between a good burger and a bad burger? Well, I don't know if I had one I didn't like. But they usually taste pretty good. You know, uh, in Australia, uh, Burger King is called Hungry Jacks. Oh yeah, that's right. It's oh, in the wow. same font, but they it's called Hungry Jack. I don't like their burgers. It's like too much sauce. It's wet, and also like you know, I tried like I guess their version like a quarter pounder disgusting you know too much sauce and they gave me food poison once too so dreadful yeah i don't like that uh i don't know i like all sorts of burgers oh that's right yeah because down in australia it's called hungry jacks instead of burger king yeah (laughs) and man he he is not pleased with how sloppy those burgers are yeah, I can see that. I mean, he wears all he wears all white. I can't imagine he would be eating a lot of sloppy food at all. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now I'm a long way from home, from Aberdeen Mountain Dome. Till I hear the echoes of the hill. And my sweet lily bell, my little hillbilly gal. Calling from the echoes of the hill. Now, when I left my pappy said, Now don't do nothing wrong. I recall my mammy saying, Sonny, don't be long. So I know that someday I'll go in my way. Back among the echoes of the Don't be long, so I know that someday I'll go in my way back among the echoes of the hill. 
We just heard a track by Edna Gibson. Do you know that song? Like, have you heard another recording of that tune? I was literally just thinking about that as we were listening to it. Um, I kind of assume, I assume it's a cover or like an old folk song, but I'm not personally familiar with it, although it sounds familiar. Yeah. So Edna is uh, an interesting story. Um, I was just on on a little trip to Northern California. So drove down South from Olympia and we saw this dilapidated little thrift store. And then behind the thrift store, there was a barn and there was just a big sign that said barn also open. So we just had to pull over and scope it out and see if maybe there's some records in there or something. Um, there's some like moldy Andy Williams LPs, nothing fancy, mm-hmm. nothing to get excited about and then just a box of hand labeled tapes that mostly just said myself and some of them in the same handwriting also said edna gibson and uh we're like whatever this is we, we're taking it yeah so it was like i think they asked us for like 10 or 15 bucks for the whole box and we got back in the car and put it on and damn she's just this stylist uh yeah. who recorded hours of country music by herself or with friends and i couldn't find anything about her anywhere i i'm still digging i still like try to research her this is like over 10 years ago this close to 15 years ago that i found that tape yeah that's pretty lucky i mean considering the amount of music that's made and the amount of music that has been made a lot of it is bad and uh a lot of the stuff that you just randomly find on even like acetate's or like stuff that's been pressed on vinyl that's hard to find is often bad. So like the the chances of finding just like a shoebox of cassettes in a barn and having it be like really good is like uh lottery, like lottery level chances. Yeah, totally. So that's my um my little excavation story, but Franklin, you're a full-time music excavator. <laughs> yeah, I guess as, so. As far as I know, you're 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 a treasure hunter. I guess so. Yeah, I guess that's one way to put what I do. It's always I always have trouble kind of uh explaining um what I do or like what the show is, I guess, because I just think of myself as like a radio host who likes to play interesting music. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I I do uh specifically seek out stuff that's maybe hasn't been heard before, or at least hasn't been heard by the amount of people I get to play it for. And uh, yeah. in the country music world, although I do collect weird stuff of all genres, it's country became kind of just became my thing for whatever reason. I think of your show as like a public service. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I feel like that's the thing that our shows have in common is like celebrating um, sort of underappreciated artists in music. Yeah, definitely. And the similarities probably stop at that point. But. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's... um. One of the hurdles that I deal with that fortunately you mostly don't have to deal with is that I assume almost everyone I play on the show is uh, passed away. Or and if, they're, if they are alive, the chances of getting a hold of them or the fact that they still want to talk about their music or play music is slim to none, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of a bummer because it's just, you know, you, a lot of information about everything regarding these recordings is going to the grave every single day. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
And so yeah. even I've talked to some families and stuff of uh, artists I've played or people have contacted me and the families will have some information, but a lot of times these artists I play only have one to three singles they released at most. And so a lot of times I'll talk to like their uh, daughter or granddaughter or whatever. And they'll be like, I'll be like, man, I'd love to hear anything about anything about your granddad's like music career. And then they'll be like, oh yeah. Um, he was mostly a farmer or like he worked in a factory, but like, yeah, he said he used to play shows when he was younger. Or, like he released a few things, but I never really heard him before. And it's like, oh wow, it's almost like it's a hidden part of these people's lives that they tried to, maybe they tried to make it in music for like a, a couple of years or they just, you know, had a few songs they wanted to record and a few extra hundred bucks or whatever. But a lot of these people are not like quote unquote musicians as far as like they were doing it as any sort of job. That used to be kind of a thing where people, they call it vanity records, mm -hmm. where people would just like want to have a record just for their own self-satisfaction. Um, and I feel like you might come across a, a handful of those, like especially like when someone's got just like a really plainly personal lyrics that are just like done in a very matter of fact not very songwritery <laughs> fashion. <laughs> yeah, definitely. There's a lot of that, and there's also a lot of covers of uh, relatively popular songs that are done in kind of a ramshackle sort of way. That's really endearing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's a, a yeah the private press or vanity press sort of thing is basically yeah somebody. I wish I could find like old brochures. I don't know how much it costs, but back in the day, yeah, somebody could just save up probably like probably not that much, maybe a hundred or 200 bucks from their factory yeah. job and go to a studio and record two or three tracks, probably with a backing band. They didn't even have to have a band uh -huh. and they just, uh, and then the studio would get it pressed for them and they'd have, you know, 50 or a hundred or 200 records to just give it to their friends and family or whatever, or try to sell it a show. And it's like, yeah, it's like Christmas these little presents. Yeah. It's like yeah. these little snapshots into like American history that, um, if these records weren't around, these snapshots wouldn't exist because the people who maybe saw them play are probably elderly or passed away. And this is just like the one document of that time, you know? Yeah. It's, it's pretty special. Yeah. We, and, and now we have TikTok. <laughs> yeah, now we have TikTok. And I think we, I don't know what it's like for people that are younger than us, um, but... I was thinking the other day about how I still remember before the internet was like omnipresent and uh, mm -hmm. also before home recording was like very common. Um, yeah. But like, I think we really, it's hard for a lot of people, even my age, I'm 37. And so I, it's for people that are my age or especially people that are like half or one generation younger than me to really understand how difficult it was for even people in the 1950s to hear their own voices, you know? Yeah. Like you wouldn't, you, you might live and die without ever having heard a recording of your voice. And now we take it for granted that it's happening like all the time, everywhere. I'm curious about how you got into doing Dollar Country. Um, first of all, can I tell you my uh, maybe misguided idea? Sure. I'd love to hear it. Yeah. How I imagine it is that you're a truck driver. Okay. And you uh, travel around the country and 
anytime you see an antique shop or a yard sale or whatever, you pull over your truck, maybe you make your delivery a little bit late, but you have like <laughs> a new box of records to flip through when you get back home. And then at the end of the week, you uh, just throw it on the turntable, hit record, and send it out to the world. Yeah. Pretty accurate? Yeah. It's ex- pretty much exactly how it started. Um, I wish. That would be awesome. I actually did think about becoming a truck driver at one point in my life, just because I like driving, and, and I like seeing uh-huh. seeing the world, and I think that would be kind of a cool way to get paid, but yeah, that's not what I ended up doing. I... Um, it started because I worked at a record store in Lawrence, Kansas, Love Garden Sounds. And um, once you work at a record store, you're surrounded by music all the time. And you're always listening to music and you're collecting more and more records. And then I got slowly into 45s, um, which is the everything I play on my show is a 45 or a 78. I don't play any LPs. Okay. And, and so I got into that. Um, a buddy I worked with there named Cyrus was kind of my, um, I guess, mentor or teacher. Because, like, the world of record digging is kind of like a subgenre of just, like, record nerddom. And so I started noticing that people would come in and look through the dollar bin at Love Garden, and they'd pull out stuff that was, like, I don't know, just, like, I put stuff in the dollar bin. One of my jobs was like to take stuff that didn't sell, put it in the dollar bin. So I just assumed everything in there sucked. Like uh-huh. I thought it was like, oh, this is just indie rock stuff that didn't sell or whatever. But then I started looking through it and uh, I would see these like country songs with kind of funny names or like songs about getting drunk or whatever. And yeah. I started kind of putting them on and then putting on like some classic rock from the 70s. Stuff kind of like slightly not like the super major airplay stuff. I'd be like, there's actually like for a dollar, for 50 cents a song, this is like a deal, kind of. Yeah. And then yeah. from from there, like, Cyrus would, he's been, he collects soul records, he's been doing it for a long time, and so he was like, well, let's take a day and, like, drive to, well, from Kansas, you can drive to a few places that are, like, big old record stores where you can dig all day, and so we'd take these day trips to St. Louis or up to Iowa or spend a day in Kansas City or whatever, and uh, it just slowly became that country records were the ones that nobody gave a shit about. Um, but also, they had a lot of charm to them for me, even though I've not always been, like, a country music guy. But they just have this, like, American historic charm to me, and a lot of the recordings were kind of shitty, and they were also cheap. Yeah. Nobody was collecting them, so it was kind of like, they were just in abundance, and that's kind of what got me specifically into that. And then... <clears throat> I started the show with maybe, I, may, I might have had two boxes of 45s, like maybe around 345s. And I started uh-huh. the show um, because my uh, radio kind of runs in my family. My uncle was into radio, and I did radio at college, and then, yeah, it slowly just grew. And then, you know, you collect enough records, then you start having thousands of records and tens of thousands of records, and... You know, the things you want are more and more niche or more and more hard to find or more and more expensive. And then you get to where I am, where it's like, you know, I can I can find like an amazing record for a dollar or I can spend fifty dollars on a record and not even blink an eye about it. Because it's like music just has that much value to me, I guess. Yeah, I got a I got a few hundred forty fives and I wanted to share this um, this track Tiger Woman. It's on uh, <laughs> Bogan, Bogan Records, Square Dance label from oh, nice. Houston. Nice. 
And um, yeah, I've actually never listened to this 45 at 45 RPM. Just a 33? Every time I start it up, if I hit it on at 45, I'm just like, well, too fast, too fast. Yeah. And I, I, I've never made it all the way through. Is that the one you um, sent me? Yeah, yeah. The Shannon Ayers? The Shannon Ayers with caller Chuck Bryant. And yeah, this is this is my first Square Dance record. I bought it in a thrift store in Houston. Um, and I was I had a big stack of these. They all came with like a call sheet with all the oh, yeah. all the dance moves and everything. I was like, this is great. And I had like a hundred of them. I was like, this will be great. I'll walk out of here like twenty bucks or something. And and they were five dollars a piece. Oh jeez. They had thousands of them. And I'm like, these they gotta be trying to get rid of these. Nope. <laughs> they were not. So I just got this one. Side of swing your corner. 
smoker, Tiger's tail. I'm gonna put you where you belong. You better love me, my baby. Well, the side square through and his forehand you go. Hug it to the corner, do it a side Why don't you swing through and then girls circulate from there? The boys trade turn through and I go let down the man. Hire woman, out of sight. Join hands in circle, go walking round the room. Back down the man the corner when you weave around that ring. Tire woman, out of sight of the new promenade. You better move on along just like a tiger's tail. I'm gonna put you where you belong. You better love me, my baby. Just like a I thought this tune's pretty special. Yeah, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I thought it sounded really good at 33. I've um, spent a lot of time playing 45s at 33, and I feel like there's a there's a sweet spot where it works both ways and doesn't sound weird. Um, Square Dance Records is like another weird kind of subgenre within the world of 45 collecting. I don't know anybody who collects those. I mean, I kind of collect some country ones, but like that is one of the last the last frontiers of true record collecting, I think. Because in Texas, yeah. there's piles of them everywhere and nobody cares because they're almost always bad. Uh-huh. Um, they're not worth anything. And they're abundant, you know? Because back in the day, that's how you had to do square dancing if you didn't have a band. So yeah. it was like they were born out of necessity. It wasn't like... It, it wasn't like... Uh, because they had another option or because they wanted it to be on vinyl. So nowadays, all that stuff, they're just like completely non-utilitarian. They're going to wind up in a mass grave like the E.T. video game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then somebody will have to spend a bunch of money in 100 years to find the spot where they all got buried and dig them up and sell them all on eBay. <laughs> Franklin, I played a couple songs that I brought. Sure. Um, what do you have today that you're excited to share? Well, I brought some weirder stuff out. This is a guy I like. How long have you been listening to my show? Um, since late 2018, 2019. Okay. So you're yeah. you know you know Buddy Pruitt then. He was a guy who ran a oil company in uh, Fort Smith, Arkansas, and. He kind of did country music on the side. I think I get the feeling that early on he was doing country music as a career. And then slowly he realized it was kind of like a side gig because he has a few things on like some bigger labels. But then everything past a certain point is on his own record label called Derek Records, as in oil Derek. Um, so oh. I'm going to play I'm going to play You Can Bet Your Bottom Dollar, which is like. What do you listen to much Bob Dylan? Are you familiar with Dylan? Yeah, I've Dylan heard of stuff. that guy. 
yes. Robert Zimmerman. Yeah. So you know, on Desire, the album Desire, the sound of like the the fiddle is like really. There's something about the sound of the fiddle on Desire that just sounds really good. I feel like this out al- this song reminded me of that fiddle sound, and you don't hear that in like country music that often. And it just like struck a chord with me, and I. From that point on, collected every possible Buddy Pruitt thing I could find. So I'm going to play this one. It's kind of dark for like a country song. Yeah. I rambled all around this country And worked in every oil field town My only plan is just a one-night stand I guess I'll never we drill for oil and gas in the mountains On the plains and the deep blue sea At this stage it couldn't be my age It's the mileage that's wearing me And you can bet your bottom dollar now for me to see Ain't nothing but the mileage that's wearing me The prettiest gal I've ever seen She told me I'm the only one She's been searching for She's wearing a big diamond ring I bought me a trailer house in Texas Just to save a little on the rent But she can spend more money Than a riverboat gambler And that's the way my money went And you can bet your bottom dollar now Woman really costing me. There's gonna be a new day this evening. If that sweet thing is ever coming home, she's not the gal for the grieving, but her easy rider will be gone. I'm going on back to the country now to her. Wow, the production on that is incredible. Uh, so so in a league of its own. Yeah, it's got a really, um, it just doesn't sound like a lot of other stuff that I've heard. Yeah, super ethereal. I, I totally get that uh, desire fiddle yeah. uh, <laughs> comparison too. I buy bulk boxes from a lot of other collectors and uh, I think that came in a box and I asked the dude like, hey, what's up with this record? Do you know anything about it? And he was like, nope, don't know anything about it. And it was just like, okay, I guess I'm gonna have to figure it out. 
Yeah, yeah, that's how it was for me with the uh, the Edna Gibson thing. I went back to the store that I bought it from yeah. on the way back home, and she's like, "I never, no, no idea." And like, I looked her up and found out that yeah, she did live in Cave Junction, Oregon, and um, was maybe survived by a son who had moved to Miami, huh. and. Uh, and he also passed away, like, since I started trying to get in touch with somebody who might just, like, at least have a story about her. Um, so you got you got pretty far. You you know he was an oil baron. and <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I uh, well, actually, it's kind of a weird coincidence, but um, a buddy of mine who goes by Western Red um, does a show out of Fort Smith, Arkansas, which is where Buddy Pruitt's from. You're talking about If That Ain't Country, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so I, uh, I'm, I'm pretty close with him. We text quite a bit and, um, he would message me about, uh, every couple shows and be like, Hey, here's a few things that I, could I get rips of or whatever? And I'd make copies and send them down. And he was like, Hey, that buddy Pruitt thing, like that's from the town I'm in. Um, can you like send me some information about it and I'll try to find out. And he works for like a classic country radio station and he put up a post on Facebook that was like, hey, this guy, this guy's a local guy. Anybody know anything about him? And uh, I think his grandson, maybe, or like great cousin or something, mentioned him. And yeah, from there, I kind of got a hold of a few people and asked a few questions. But but yeah, I got some information about them about Mr. Pruitt. I think I'm almost positive he's passed away now. But yeah, he uh, yeah he did a handful of records and had a has a business down there that's still there. I think Pruitt, the Pruitt Oil Company, is still there. Wow. Yeah. Shout out to Pruitt Oil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. What else you got today on the turntables? Let's do this This one. You probably heard this one, too. This is the Swamp Guinea Legend by Christy Burroughs. It's about, it's a record that is about a restaurant that used to be in Georgia. I, guess, I think it's closed now. Any of his things. 
For the next week or two, so many folks came down to look. Papa thought we ought to build a shack and put them in and charge people to look at them. Yet Ma said, no, that wouldn't be right. Let's just feed them a mess of catfish while they're here. So from this developed the Swamp Guinea Fish Lodge. Isn't that insane? What a great backstory <laughs> to a restaurant. This is all... Yeah, you do not expect it to end up where it goes. Well, when, like, I looked up Swamp Guinea and I was like, is that like a, like a, you know, like, is that like the Mothman of Georgia? Is that like a, right. a like a weird thing? Yeah, I or have like, no idea. And then I wasn't sure, like, is it like some sort of weird, like, anti-Italian thing? Because Italians are called guineas. And then, but like, no, it just like seems to be unique to this restaurant and like, they have, I guess they used to sell these at the restaurant as like the legend. The other side is called Bend a Swamp Guinea, and it's actually like about the restaurant. But it's like, yeah, like what a wow. weird, weird fucking thing. Yeah. Uh, so, so they just decide to feed them a mess of catfish. Yeah, that's right. To like look at these old tools on the wall or something. It's yeah, like, which right, they, they're like, uh, we're going to keep the tools, keep the antiques to ourselves. <laughs> yeah. But here, have some fish. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, I feel like that's kind of the charm of like country music as opposed to some other, I guess, I think blues and country music are kind of uh, very similar in that role that it's just like, that was like the generic type, the generic genre of music that people would tell stories over for many years. Yeah. It's like unlike soul or like, uh, you know, like electro or boogie or any any sort of other like danceable, collectible music, like country has such a gigantic amount of stuff to find. Like, yeah. It's not going to be completely dug out for so many more years. Like it's just going to take forever. It's a very deep well. Yeah. Yeah. You ever get into the uh, the Waffle House jukebox? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Do you have any of those? Uh, I have, I definitely have one, but yeah, I love that idea that like, they just would have songs about their food on their jukebox. (laughs) Yeah. It was a jukebox full of 45s about the Waffle House. Yeah. And it was on Waffle House Records, which is like, had their logo on it. Holiday Inn had a label too. Yeah. But it wasn't songs about Holiday Inn, which would be cool. I kind of wish they were, but they were just like, kind of, they had like some garage like and soul and country stuff mood music yeah i don't exactly yeah. know i'd be interested to know the history behind holiday and records like why did they do that yeah i wanted to share this song that um i it's it's an acetate that i found at that same thrift store in houston where i got the square dance record oh cool i'm assuming it's a band or artist from Houston because that's where I found it Hmm. and I wrote a title on it the fast talking kind because that's what he says and he he just has some um, very strong opinions about New York town yeah not not New York City but New York town (laughs) you hear that Watch out for the fast-talking kind The one they're way into 
promise you a dollar and then take your last dime. So watch out for the fast talking time. Watch out if you go to New York town. It'll beat you right into the ground. All that concrete and steel. Might seem unreal, but it's hard and it's cold underground. Love that steel. like the idea that you wouldn't be able to drink the water in New York or breathe the air. That's one thing. But yeah, the water also <laughs> it's is like, poison. It's not like you're visiting Mexico. Like where you're going like, to yeah. get sick from the water or something. <laughs> <laughs> I find it interesting the common theme of like rural folk versus city folk and how like the city will like corrupt you and how like like yeah. being in the country won't somehow even though 
it totally does. It's just different corruption, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there's this, there's this like us versus ha- them idea about like, uh, you know, going to the big city or like the bright lights or, you know, how that'll like somehow change you. Yeah, that neon gets under your skin and that's right or like that's where like all the loose women are or something and gambling and it's like as if you can't get into trouble being like in the country or something yeah i noticed so you you made a a a zine slash uh mix cd yeah about about country songs about drugs yes um and to your point there all but one of those songs is uh, sort of cautionary tales, kind of misguided. But there's only one song on there that celebrates weed and whiskey. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's another thing about country music is, yeah, there's a lot of cautionary tales. A lot of like, don't do this thing. Yeah. I would assume almost everybody who sang songs like that didn't do the drugs they were singing about. Like the dude who sang the song about LSD and then like killing his family is like i have taken enough uh psychedelics myself to know that i have i don't think i've ever had a violent feeling (laughs) while (laughs) while taking acid ever rage is not a common side effect (laughs) yeah and it's like i know i but i think a lot of that was uh a lot of that is like in reaction to the news, you know, because like mm-hmm. the Manson people were like taking acid and they killed somebody. So that's what that must be what acid makes you do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Which is so crazy because like, I mean, <laughs> that's a pretty specific example. Um, you said you had some some uh, not so weird stuff, like some. You got something like sentimental or something pretty that you were going to (laughs) play? I don't know. But I'm going to play this song, this song by Buford Foster. (gasps) I love that name. Yeah, that's a real country name. Uh, uh, This is uh, from the Lake of the Ozarks. It's called the Lake of the Ozarks Anthem, which is another thing I like about country music is kind of like the Swamp Guinea one is like, I love when people have a song that is like, very hyper local specific like this is about this one thing this is where i'm from you can get this record from this place because that's what it's about and just like yeah all right hell yeah so this is yeah buford foster come to the lake of the ozarks spend your vacation well, it's the spot of the nation, oh yes sirree. oh yes sirree, and leave behind all your trouble, come running on the double, we're gonna make you happy as you can be. You might want to go a-fishing, or take it easy, you might want to go a-boating, or water-ski. No worker, no weary, no burdens to carry. We're gonna make you happy as you can be.
come to the lake of the Ozark, spend your vacation. Well, it's the spot of the nation, yeah. Oh, yes, sirree. No work and no worry. No burdens to carry. We're gonna make you happy as you can be. That's a great endorsement. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Every episode of your show is special in that you're delivering this mixed bag of all this all this country music treasure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then every now and then you do like a thematic episode. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about the country music Bechdel test. Oh, yeah. So like I think the rest of the country... In the past few years, I feel like I've been learning a lot about different points of view of people who are not straight, middle-aged white dudes like me. And so uh-huh. I just um, started to kind of think about country music critically because country music is a pretty uh, uh, middle-aged white dude sort of viewpoint for a lot of people, or for, for a lot of its history. And so I was just thinking about, like, first of all, when I'm picking out music for a show it's very often almost all men just because the songs by men I find more interesting and I was wondering why that is. And then I started looking into it and I realized that almost like, I bet like half of country music is about relationships is about like breakups or falling in love or whatever. Um, But songs about women are like 95% just about men, just about relationships, um, about breaking up or falling in love or whatever. And I realized that the reason I, I, my show became so heavy in men's stuff in men's singers is because they could sing about everything. And so I had all these songs about history or drugs or war or just anything that wasn't relationships. And I kind of wanted to look further into that. And so the Bechdel test is the test for, it's for a movie. I guess it's for any sort of movie or book or media or whatever, mm-hmm. where it passes the test if there are two named women characters uh, who have a conversation with each other not about a man in a movie. I think that's it. I, yeah. I don't know if I'm that's, missing something. but that, so I, that's, that's about right. So you kind of altered that? Yeah, so I kind of altered that for country music, and I was like, all right, I'm going to try to find only songs performed or written, preferably, but just performed by women that are not about men in any way. And it was, like, really hard. Like, I, I looked through... This was a few years ago, so I had less records than I do now, but I looked through a few thousand records. But out of all this stuff, I literally... I found, like, tens of 45s that I could play on the show. And then from there, some of them just weren't very good, and so I picked out, you know, like, 16 or whatever. And, um, yeah, it was really hard because I... Because these these women, I'm sure, were being told by all the men in the room who were running, you know, everything from radio stations to promotions to recording and stuff, that these were the songs they had to do to get airplay and these are the songs they were supposed to do or whatever. And so women in country music have this very tunnel vision view of songs they can do and it's almost always about men. And I just thought that was really f***ing lame. Yeah. And so, yeah, I did that. I did that show to kind of point that out. And a lot of people really liked it. And I'm really happy they liked it. I I especially had a lot of women mention that they really enjoyed it because I think living in America, at least, you're just kind of used to 
the male viewpoint being the main viewpoint on almost everything. So it kind of bummed me out in the same way because I wish I could do another one, but I probably can't. I, mean, I might be able to now, but I mean, I look through thousands yeah. of records, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, I know. It'd be, it'd be really cool if you could do a weekly show that was that, <laughs> but... <laughs> women <laughs> women have just as many feelings and thoughts and experiences as any man, but like the way that media portrays it and the way that country music portrayed it was just that they were basically like, you know, a foil for men. Yeah. It's uh it's a bummer. <laughs> it's cool to see you, you know, push the limits though. And yes. I try not to make my show I try not to make my show political because politics is a big turnoff for a lot of people including myself. Mm-hmm. Um but I try to offer ideas that I think will make the world a better place. Yeah, I've caught on to that. That's where the I, be nice people out there comes from. You know what I mean? Mhm. Yeah. I and I think a lot of the uh a lot of the country music that you play doesn't come from a hive mind. It's all <laughs> yeah. coming from the heart yeah. most of the time. Or if it does, so, I try I try to mention it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I think I think we might ought to wrap this up. Cool. I'm gonna go right into this one. All right. Those who think young, I got the sad news. While having lunch, Billy walked in, told me goodbye. He wanted his ring back, for he told me there'd be no My boss still laughing at me, but I don't blame him. Silly of me for asking of him, may I go home? Well, this could be the funniest. I cried 
I'd get up while slipping on my tears. Billy broke my heart at Walgreens, and then I cried all the way to Sears. What the hell was that? Ruby Wright. You see that? Is that on Stop Records? Oh, it's on oh. Recording Industry Corp. Billy wow. broke Billy broke my heart at Walgreens, and I cried all the way to Sears by Ruby Wright. Oh my God! Why does Why does hearing the name of a store make me laugh <laughs> I don't in know. a song? <laughs> well, and also it's like such a serious like they broke up or whatever. <laughs> it's a sad song. Uh, yeah. But then you throw in these brands, and it just. And that sounded like Pete Drake in there. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was Pete Drake on the talking, the talking steel. Yeah, wow, <laughs> that's a that's a heavy production. So yeah, like, that's good. So that was yeah produced by Grady Martin. So I'm sure that's the uh, Nashville A team on there. Yep, it sounded like it to me. <laughs> Goodness gracious, what what a way to go out, Franklin. Thank you so much for for hanging and doing yeah, man. This. Thanks for it's having like, me. I I appreciate it. Really nice to have some insight into into your beautiful machine. Yeah, I'm always happy to talk about it. Yeah. Um, well, Franklin, be nice to people out there, would you? Hey, you too. <laughs> All right, <laughs> will do. All right, later, man. All right, later. Whoa. 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 Whoa.